Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I am pleased to be joined by hymn writer and composer, Dr. Amanda Udis Kessler. Hello. How are you tonight? Good, good. Thanks for your time, and uh, glad to have you on, and looking forward to, ha- to conversing with you a little bit about this. Um, so, Amanda has a, well, let's, I want to give you some of her bio real quick. So Amanda is a, like I said, hymn writer, songwriter, composer, and writer who specializes in music and lyrics for liberal and progressive religious people and communities. Her hymns have appeared in six hymnals, wow, and are part of collections at several progressive religious websites, along with her responsive readings and several sermons. Uh, she serves informally as composer in residence at Vista, is it, I don't even know this, Amanda, Vista Grande, Vista Grande Community Church. <laughs> Vista Grande Community Church, United Church of Christ. Yeah, I, I'm in Colorado as, as well as you, and I don't even know how do you say it. So Vista Grande, I'm learning something, as you're the featured hymn writer composer for the fall uh, 2020 through summer 2021 United Church of Christ Musicians Association Journal Worship, Music, and Ministry. So there's a lot more uh, I could say about Amanda, but for sake of time and brevity, we'll leave it at that. But... um. Yeah. So, Amanda, what would you like our hearers uh, and the listeners kind of to learn about your story, uh, how you got here and what kind of made you passionate about music? So I started my life religiously as a secular Jew in New York City. And um, growing up, Christianity was pretty exclusively negative for me. I found it judgmental. Mm -hmm. I found it arrogant. And once I came out uh, as queer, I found it homophobic. And just um, because people use the word queer differently, I'm just going to say I'm using it descriptively to include lesbians, gay men, bisexual people, transgender people, anyone who doesn't fit into the heterosexual norm or the gender norm exactly. So, um, Sure. Thanks for that. Yep, sure. So my first uh, positive encounter with Christianity actually came when I music directed a production of Godspell at my high school. I was 15 years old. And I was just incredibly moved by the music and the spirit of it and the sort of vision of community it had. And I realized that what has uh, drawn me over and over again to Christianity and finally kind of brought me into it at at one end of it um, is still Jesus's vision of the beloved community, the kingdom of God, what I sometimes call love's domain. And I think I got my first sniff of that really um, music directing this production of Godspell. I, I still cry almost every time I play, play all good gifts. So, yep. Um, I also got interested in the academic study of religion. So I majored in that in college. I had to take my um, Life and Teachings of Jesus class. And it was a really interesting experience because it kind of built off of the Jesus seminar work. So my first introduction to biblical scholarship was the stuff happening at the progressive end of it. Interesting. So you're setting who would have been funk and all those guys, right? Yep. 
Yep, um, I, I've read probably almost everything that uh, John Dominic Croson and Marcus Borg have read. Actually, I have a, I have a Palm Sunday hymn that's based on their book, The Last Week. So all of that happened. I, I spent about 30 years with the Unitarian Universalists, went to seminary, studied for ministry, didn't eventually go into it. Um, but that also drew me closer. I went to a Christian seminary and that drew me closer to Christianity in a way. And then um, the other thing that has sort of impacted my connection to sacred music is that at some point uh, as a young adult, I realized that I really loved the idea of spiritual pop music. And what was around then was contemporary Christian music, the CCM scene. Yeah. So that's what I listened to. I didn't agree with it all theologically, but it, it, yeah. it also is part of what drove me to start writing my own. <laughs> so That's fascinating. I'm hoping... Uh, I won't. I won't say the name in case I'm still working on efforting. Uh, but there's a there's this former CCM artist I'm trying to get on the pod. I'll say so. Oh. I'll have to let you know if I can uh, land that plane. Oh, that'd be so, wonderful. That'd be really talk interesting. To, talk to her manager. I'll say so. We'll see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's really been quite a faith journey for you, then. It it really has, and. Um, it's taken me a long time to sort of see that there's a space for me in Christianity. It's not something I would have necessarily thought earlier, but I had to do, you know, um, progressive Christians often talk about deconstruction and reconstruction. And I wouldn't, right. have, I wouldn't have thought I'd have had to do deconstruction since I didn't come from Christianity, but, but I kind of did. And what I had to come up with, um, was a way of understanding it that, that had integrity and made sense for me. So there's this particular quote, it's really meaningful to me, from John Dominic Crossan's book, uh, The Power of Parable. And he says, you've been waiting for God, Jesus said, while God has been waiting for you. No wonder nothing is happening. You want God's intervention, he said, while God wants your collaboration. God's kingdom is here, but only in so far as you accept it, enter it, live it, and thereby establish it. And so for me, being a Christian, being a part of this story means collaborating with the divine in accepting, entering into, living into, and establishing that commonwealth of love. I love it. Uh, I'm already a big fan of yours since you're a fan of John Dominic Crossan. I'm a big fan. And that's one of my, that's one of the points I've read. I don't remember which book it is. Uh, I think it's In Search of Paul, maybe. Uh, he co-wrote, and he kind of makes a similar point that, you know, the kingdom is here and or at least it's beginning and we're invited to be a part of it. So wonderful, wonderful you're sharing that. Um, I'm curious for you, since you've gone through this faith journey, what has been a meaningful uh, faith practice either you developed or might recommend to others? Sure. So um, for me, having a worship community is important. Having some kind of prayer life is important. But I think most people do those um, if they're within a faith tradition. So the, the things I would mention that might be less usual would be making sure to have a gratitude practice, a, a daily gratitude practice of some sort. That's good, yeah. And then doing some kind of social justice work and especially the kinds that make us uncomfortable if we ourselves are in a dominant group. So, uh, so for me, anti-racist work is important. Um, I actually just wrote a confessional psalm for white people 
trying to do anti-racist work called Oh My Shepherd, and it's just starting to get out there. So it's really important for our spiritual lives that we be uncomfortable and, and that we deal with and struggle with and accept being uncomfortable. It's part of the deal. The last thing I'll say that to me is just crucial for my spiritual life that I recommend to everyone is having creativity practices. So I mean, writing, creating visual art, creating music, baking, dancing, um, mm -hmm. acting, any, anything, any practice that um, inspires us and enables us to bring new things into the world to co-create with the holy. And that requires some discipline and humility on our parts. That's great. Uh, podcasting, I'll say, is one creative thing I'm doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. I want to go back and ask you, though, about your thought about, and I'm forgive me, I'm kind of just springing on this, springing this on you, but this is what I do. Um, sure. Talk more about, if you can, like this idea of being uncomfortable, because I think so much of at least mainstream Christianity is averse to uncomfortableness. So talk more about why you think that's so important. So for me, all of this always comes back to the life and work of Jesus. Whatever else mm -hmm. I would or wouldn't say, for me, that's, that's the signpost, that's the model. And he spent a lot of time making people uncomfortable, sometimes in really confrontational ways, the stories of you know flipping the tables at the temple and all. Yeah, yeah. But even his parables made people uncomfortable they you know he, he's talking to exploited peasants for the most part yeah yeah he helps them to imagine this world that they don't really live in but it's this vision of what could be and so mm -hmm. there are strange endings to stories you know the, the the workers who get paid the same for different numbers of hours the fact that yeah the the wrong person comes by and helps the man who was beaten up you know right it should not have been his his enemy it, you know it should have been mm -hmm. you know if um if i were telling the good samaritan story today and i were telling it in like a really um uh queer inclusionist church i would make the good samaritan a fundamentalist oh yeah right yeah. Or, or if i'm yeah. telling it in um new life church which is here in colorado springs <laughs> i would make the good yeah. samaritan i would make the good samaritan a gay atheist so yeah, who's yeah. your enemy? Sometimes your enemy takes care of you. That's radical. Yeah, that is radical. Well, this is great. Uh, we're not even to the interview, so let's um, let's jump into that then, if you're if you're ready. So uh, one of Amanda's big projects is Queer Sacred Music, and that's the that's the domain, right? QueerSacredMusic.com or something like that. That's exactly right. Great. So I guess why. What kind of, why did you want to do this? Who are yep. you hoping to impact? What's yep. what's the story there? Yep. So um, I had written some hymns in the past and a few of them had gotten published. And about, um, oh gosh, a couple of years ago now, a friend of mine mentioned that the hymn society in the US and Canada was um, soliciting hymns for a new hymnal called Songs for the Holy Other, which was specifically LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer hymnal and um, I found out about it with two months to go and in the two months I wrote and got engraved 25 hymns which I sent them and uh, wow. they published two of them um, and that just <laughs> sparked this incredible uh, 
you know, I, I, I've always been a really creative person. I've preached about, written and preached about 150 sermons in my time. I have an mm-hmm. academic book out in the world. But for some reason, at that moment, the hymns business just, it took off. And um, the reason I picked that particular URL, queersacredmusic.com, is, so I'm, I'm in my 50s. And um, a lot of people my age grew up with the message that not only was homosexuality immoral, but it was just right. the antithesis of everything that's holy or sacred. Yeah. And so my website is intended to jolt, but also to invite people in. I was thinking about this this weekend, and I see it as a kind of parable itself. Again, in keeping with Jesus's parables that invite people to see things or imagine things differently. Right. Yeah. So the idea of queer sacred music puts these two things that have traditionally thought of as really different into community with each other. Um, And also, of course, the website is meant to be a sign of welcome for anyone who's already inclusive and looking for inclusive hymns, or who is themselves queer and looking for, among other things, maybe some hymns that touch on queer issues or queer life. So it's both a sort of a signal to welcome people who might already want it, and a signal that people who don't know what they think should check it out and see if they like anything. That's great. That's great. Um, how would you describe your music and, and where do you think it kind of fits best in context or, or in what context, let's just say? Sure. So um, I've, I write three, uh, mostly I write three kinds of things for that website. I write fairly traditional hymns that mainline or traditionally liberal churches would use. Sometimes I use traditional hymn music that someone would have grown up with. Often I write my own, but it sounds rather traditional. So that's for liberal Christian and mainline audiences. I also write worship songs that can span everything from 80s pop music to gospel to folk. I have a tango in there. Some of it (laughs) sounds uh, intentionally, some of it sounds like CCM, contemporary Christian music, but of course the the text is a bit different. And then there's also a number of rounds on the website that are appropriate for um, acapella singing. So if you don't have a piano or if you're in a tradition that does singing without instruments, some of the rounds are. Yeah, yeah. Some some Quakers have used those, I think. Um, So and then um, in terms of the type of topics, the website has um, sub sites on it or sub pages. So there's one on COVID-19 resources. I've written a lot specifically for the epidemic in response to the epidemic. Um, Really? Oh yeah, sure. How was that, if I may interrupt, I'm curious, like, was that kind of out of like, just kind of a felt need? Was that in response to something? Or is that just like, I need an outlet for like my, you know, all of this to deal with all this going on? You know, I bet that subconsciously it was the latter, but mostly it was in response to sort of specific needs. So the first thing I wrote, uh, which is to a traditional tune, is called We Are Gathered, and it is about virtual worship, and it's to be sung during (laughs) virtual worship. Um, Really interesting. A lot of people use it. Um, um, There's also, um, when people started complaining about church being closed, that really bothered me because... Just because you can't go in the building doesn't mean you can't worship and it doesn't mean you can't live a spiritual or religious life. So I wrote two pieces about that, one called Church is More Than Just a Building, one called Church is the Way We Live. Um, 
And then there are some pieces about finding hope during hard times. The other one that I love from the COVID-19 collection is called Just Such a Time as This. And it takes a line from the book of Esther and sort of says, we are called for this moment. We are called to be our best selves and to heal ourselves and to heal each other huh. and, and, and to be grateful and to do justice and all that. So, so that sort of material um, came out of there. Um, but there's also- Well, that'd be, oh, I'm sorry, I was gonna say, that'd be good if folks could live by that, met, by that meaning of that song, wow. You know, and, and it turned out to be pretty useful for the anti-racism stuff as well, even though I didn't write it with that in mind. But um, mm. there's also there's communion hymns, there's church season music, there's social justice resources. There's um, there are sort of some pieces that are actually about or for um, uh, lesbian, gay, bi, trans people. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, one of the things that's interesting, so I have, you know, years of writing music for Unitarian Universalists. I now have a couple of years of writing music for Christians, but I found Christians using my older UU stuff, which is interesting. They find it accessible and useful. So all of it's for everyone, I guess I would say. Yeah. Well, that's good because that kind of leads into the next question I want to ask you about, which is kind of the, the, the struggle that often happens in mainline congregations toward inclusive language mm. and i know you i know you somewhere on your website i saw this where you write about some songs you chose to change language some songs you chose to retain language and i know yeah. certainly within the, the tradition you work in right now the ucc united church of christ uh i know in their hymn book that's something they struggle with uh mm -hmm. and i know in my experience, some churches still struggle with the fact that that's been changed in the hymn book. So can you talk kind of talk through maybe that that struggle that is and then kind of your what's the word I'm looking for, your ethos behind where sure. you seek change and don't seek change? Right. So um, I, I did think a lot about this, and I think I mostly want to talk about gender and the naming of God or the naming of. The sure. Spirit. That that to me is I mean, th th this I this topic is big enough for hours of conversation. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, what I see is that, um, you know, the way you framed the question, you know, originally was around how do you retain meaning when you try to use inclusive language? And I'm going to come back to that question. But for me, yeah. using inclusive language is an opportunity. And, and the opportunity that it involves is seeing God as bigger and broader and deeper than we can imagine or visualize. And therefore, hmm. as never truly captured by any language that we have, none of our language is enough. None of it sure. gets everything yeah. right. So yeah. that means that we are free to see God as male and as female and as beyond gender and as not confined to gender. And we mm -hmm. certainly are free to see God as powerful, but also as tender and as vulnerable. And, you know, we have this, uh, this long tradition of identifying uh, light and brightness with the sacred. Uh, and I certainly yeah. do understand where that comes from, but I think we, it, it also does us well to uh, be open to identifying the darkness as holy. And there are some hymn writers who have done this really well, mm -hmm. people like Brian Wren um, and, and others. But basically, well, to me, uh, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. I'm just thinking about um, how light and darkness has been 
that metaphor has been used in the past. You're speaking about anti-racism has been used uh, sure. to, pro- what am I trying to say? Kind of promote light is good and dark is bad. So exactly. yeah, I'm, that's interesting that how I'm fascinated to hear that, that folks are kind of, yeah, making, trying to lean into that. Well, and I think, I guess I would say any truly inclusive approach to religion should engage us with images of sacredness that are so diverse that they include all people in them. So there's a book, I don't remember who mm. wrote it now, it, decades ago, by, by a feminist Christian theologian called A God That Looks Like Me. And um, uh-huh. I can't speak theology in general, but in the writing of liturgical music, I think we need music that reminds women and people of African descent and Asian descent and Latin American descent, people with disabilities, queer people, that there is that spark of the sacred uh, in all of us. In And so, yeah. and then it doesn't exist in opposition to one's African background or one's queerness or one's, one's femaleness, but but in and through those identities and through all the identities we have. So, so to me, the most exciting um, inclusive language in sacred music is, is really around welcoming everyone to the table. I mean, Jesus had this really mm. table and, and this is right. of engaging that. So, so, you know, the idea that how do you retain meaning um, you retain yeah. meaning by remembering what's at the core of this beautiful vision that, that we are after, that we are seeking to promote on earth. Now, it is a challenge in terms of how you relate to traditions. And I, I really want to honor that. Yeah. It's very hard for a lot of people. But but even there, the traditions themselves have been kind of selective. So I have a hymn called God the Soaring Eagle. It uses only biblical images of God or the sacred. Mm -hmm. And it has male images, female images, images from nature, images that are gender neutral. Those have been in the Bible as long as we've had a Bible. So it's not that they're not not there, but the Christian tradition for a long time was male-centered and male-identified. And so our traditional (laughs) hymns are really male. And I'm not suggesting we think about male images of God. I'm saying we add to them. We 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 sort of open our options. Yeah. Uh, um, you know. So. No, I love what you're saying. I appreciate that. Um, uh, I know. Even when I was in seminary, I, talking to some of my female friends, um, I remember some of them kind of being annoyed that they couldn't reference God as a male because for them that was meaningful to be mm-hmm. able to reference God as a male rather than. So I, I appreciate. Um, Appreciate that kind of, again, it's inclusion, (laughs) including all of that. What's been really helpful for me has been being in a congregation in which, you know, um, uh, there there is really kind of a a mix of more traditional and more progressive theology. The pastor is quite progressive, but there are people for whom the old hymns, the old language is really meaningful. And so over time, on any given Sunday, um, I might feel more connected or less connected and on a different sunday someone else might feel more or less connected but but i think a good church community has that variation and and you know there are days when i'm really fine with you know not feeling that connected to the to the old (laughs) you know pietistic hymns of 130 years ago yeah because they make other people so happy so they get to be happy sometimes i get to be happy sometimes we all get pushed and we all get included 
Amanda, what a great answer because I'm just thinking as a pastor, like one of the things that pastors hear so much that drives us crazy is this like, oh, I'm not being fed. And what you're saying is what I love, what more congregants need to say is like, hey, it's not always about me Mm-mm. all the time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump from that into talking about hymns versus quote unquote worship music, kind of this uh, CCM style worship music, however we want to call it. Sure. And I think that's one of the things that we hear uh, often is like, hey, I just can't. I guess I don't even need to answer. I don't even need to ask this question because I think your answer fits to it of it's not about me because the idea of like, oh, I need I need I'm not being fed by this music uh, or I need something more worshipful. People might say I heard that from a, a pastor told me he had a congregant say, oh, I need more worshipful feeling music. Mm-hmm. And I think your answer is just great to that about, hey, it's not always about me. I don't want to steal your answer. So what else did you want to say? (laughs) Well, I do want to just add one thing there, though, which is um, I hadn't planned to talk about this tonight, but it kind of fits here. I think that church really should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And sometimes Mm -hmm. all of us are comfortable and sometimes all of us are afflicted. And so I actually support the idea that you know, if someone feels that they're never getting fed in church, they're, they, you know, I, I am a sociologist of religion by background before I ever started doing this stuff. People who don't feel fed won't stay. They won't stay in a church. If you, if you don't make some connections, you don't make some friends, you don't join a group, you don't feel fed, you won't stay. So I do think there is, there is something to the part of, we, we do expect church to nourish us in some ways. And it's not that that's unreasonable, but I think we should complicate our ways of thinking about it and and ask can there be you know can we seek nourishment when we need it and can we seek to feed others when we are in a good space and so if i am coming from a worship service where i feel fed i'm more likely the next week to be willing to go back and you know patiently sit through these things that don't mean much to me but mean a lot to other people because I know that sometimes I will be fed, and I know that part of the the ethical component of living this kind of life is cultivating some degree of selflessness and humility and self-sacrifice. So it's, it's not that we shouldn't love ourselves. We really should. I might get to that and again in a minute, yeah. but we should be caring for other people. And so too much of a focus on, you know, is the music feeding me? to me, suggests that we're sort of tipping over into a kind of self-absorption. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I like where you're going with this. Um, I'm curious, like, how do you think you, how do you think you build this kind of culture? Um, again, I'm thinking of, of this kind of tension that is often in churches of, you know, there's like the old guard who wants to stay with the traditional hymns. And then there's often like, they're like, oh, well, we need to attract younger people and they need they need the more contemporary worship styles. How do you think you we kind of create this culture of community for all? So one thing is, I do think that congregations that have multiple services, I, I think given the frailties of human nature, that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, have different options for people. Yeah. I mean... Maybe not yeah. ideal, but but really, given who we are, not terrible either. But I do think that <laughs> I do think that the um, that that the minister or pastor of a congregation has a role to play in inviting people. And I'm going back to this sort of issue of discomfort. 
that 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 a minister or pastor who is really proactive in saying if you're here to help build the commonwealth of love you're going to be uncomfortable some of the time and you're going to be besotted, and you're going to be mm. besotted with joy some of the time and so how do we yeah. how do we sort of strengthen ourselves and and make ourselves resilient what is the ethical work we need to do what's the spiritual work what's the prayer work you know are there ways of doing bible studies that are are about strengthening our capacities for discomfort our capacities for generosity mm. and then and here's another thing you know when i think about um jesus's life and work I, the word hospitality comes to mind a lot and i think in congregations one way that we can be hospitable to each other is by not always needing to get our way and so again I think that the, the pastor, the minister, the, you know, but also the rabbi, the imam, whoever it is, um, who is in a leadership position, um, sets the model for tolerating discomfort, encouraging discomfort, but also providing a lot of pastoral care, a lot of spiritual nourishment, a lot of opportunities for community building. Um, again, this is a whole other hour of conversation, but there are ways to do it. and and when we are invited to sort of connect our spiritual and ethical selves in community, I think we have a better chance of the generations being willing to talk to each other and the older people being willing to listen to some newer music and the younger people being willing to listen to some of the old hymns. But since I'm in fifties, I'm kind of right between the generations. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can really hear your sociology background like coming through on every answer. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. Well, um, this is this is going great. I really uh, am enjoying our conversation. Let's take a break real quick, and we'll come back with our closing questions. Looking for a progressive, inclusive church that allows you to ask questions, explore your faith, and connect with God? Check out Mission Gathering Thornton, a community of Jesus followers dedicated to growing in faith, living whole lives, and seeking justice for the good of all. As an online church with incarnational communities, we're meeting together online and in person with opportunities for you to connect with people across the street and all over the world. So visit us at mgthornton.org, find us on Facebook and YouTube. We'd love to have you be a part of this life-giving community. All right, we're back with Dr. Amanda Yudis Kessler. Did I say that right? You did. Good. I always get so nervous with people's names. Uh, so, Amanda, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, so, if you were a pope for a day, what would that day look like? What do you want to do? Uh, I want to tell everyone, let's hold our doctrines and creeds with humility and gentleness and a willingness to disagree, and let's focus on collaborating with God to bring that commonwealth of love into being. And that means a lot of different things, but uh, I will leave it there for now. Boy, I think, Amanda, you've given the most thought to that question. So thank you for that well-thought-out answer. Here's another one. What theological or historical Christian figure would you want to meet or bring back to life? Absolutely, Jesus, to find out how wrong I am about all of this. Also, <laughs> I love that. 
you know, you're the only person who said Jesus so far. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, I don't actually think he saw himself as a Christian. So it's sort of a trick answer in a way. It is. Well, I, I leave some space in there when I say historical figure, right? Yeah. No, no, you did. You did. But but you know what? I'd love to know how wrong I am. About this, but I'd like to look into his eyes because I think I would see compassion mm. and love. And I think it wouldn't matter how wrong I am about my ideas because I am striving to live a life of compassion and love. And so that is the person I would most love to see in, in all of our complicated history. I want to spring another question on you, if I may. Sure. I'm curious, you mentioned that idea of wanting to look into Jesus' eyes and kind of see his love and compassion in his eyes. So much of like worship, praise and worship style music right now tends to, as I hear it at least, kind of revolve around this kind of like me and Jesus, almost like my boyfriend Jesus. Um, yep. what, are you, what are your thoughts? Because I hear it. I hear a tinge of it almost in your answer there. So so I feel like it's dismissive just to totally shrug it off because I'm hearing it in your response there. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, so my music very, very often uses um, the terms we and us. There, There's some individual language in it, but mm -hmm. very, very little of it is uh, Jesus, my boyfriend and me. It's not, it's not, I'll walk with him and I'll talk with him. I, that's not what I write. I write about, us coming together to love and do justice and be grateful and all that such. Um, and having said that, um, I do think that that if I were, you know, meeting Jesus alone, it, it's not so much that I have this image of the the doe-eyed guy that we see in those paintings from, you know, 1890. It, it isn't so much that, but I think he just must have been a really loving and compassionate human being. I mean, whatever else we make of him, you know, he, he, he taught these beautiful things. He welcomed all sorts of people to sit at his table. He healed people. I don't know what I make of that sort of medically, but I don't care. I mean, at, the, at a minimum, mm. he took away some of their stigma and welcomed them into community. So, of course, I'd, I'd like to meet him, but, but it isn't so much because I'm worried about my soul and it isn't so much because I'm selfish. I, I bet all sorts of people would like to meet him. Yeah. So... Well, I feel like I should have asked you this, and I'm springing a lot of questions on you, so forgive You're me. You're good. Uh, okay. I should have asked this earlier about the distinction, of the we versus the me music, how like your music and often music that is in kind of a progressive mainline context tend to be very we, mm -hmm. and music in more evangelical styles tend to be very me mm -hmm. or individual uh, can you elaborate on maybe at least your side of that distinction, perhaps? Well, I, I mean, I can say something about about both sides of it. I mean, the the way yeah it, yeah the way, the way that evangelicalism developed in this country is really tied to the American capitalist culture of individualism. So, and yeah. I'm saying that descriptively. I'm not necessarily putting a value judgment on it, but because that's true. Um, you know, um, if I were being really cynical, I would say that the downside of the focus on the personal relationship with Jesus is he sort of sounds like a product that you go buy in a supermarket, you know, a fancy supermarket. Yeah. Now, I do think that there is something to be said for our personal spiritual practices and our attempts 
to be in relationship with the sacred, with God, whatever that exactly looks like for us. And I actually don't disparage or devalue the, the meaning and peace that evangelicals get from, from their sense of personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah. It, it, having said that, um, at the same time as this was all uh, blossoming in American culture, again, 150 to 120 years ago, you also have the rise of the social gospel. And the, what, really yeah. pulls, what really pulls me to the social gospel, to the notion that this is us, we are a complicated, messy community, um, yep. is that in fact, if you try to make any sense of the historical Jesus, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a, at a bunch of people who were often kind of society's losers following this guy around. These, these people who fled when, when the Romans picked him up and killed him, who, who stumblingly later found something that brought them back together and, and sort of sent them off to live this, this life of, of joy and, and hope. And, and so, yeah. so I can't really detach my personal sense of spirituality with the notion that it happens in community. Also, Jesus was a Jew and Jewish religion, I mean, as, as am I by heritage, a Jew, Jewish religion is very communal. Again, it's not that it's lacking private prayer or private rituals, um, but, but yeah. it is a communal thing. So, um, and the other thing I'll say about the communal piece is what I find um, lack, it, this is present among the more progressive evangelicals today, and I love that, I'm grateful for it. But among more conservative evangelicals, the biblical focus on justice often, see, often seems to get lost. But the whole prophetic yeah, yeah. thread through the Hebrew Bible and, and the fact that, that Jesus frequently said and did things that were reminiscent of the prophets suggests to me that justice is important and you can't have justice if you don't take community seriously. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. I just sprung those on you in the middle of our closing questions. So thanks for being gracious to respond to those. Uh, last question here. I'll give you what kind of excites you most about the future as you think about it. You bet. So I think that there are going to be many future Christianities. It's going to have many forms. But the one that inspires me and excites me and humbles me is filled with joy and justice. It has people of all religions and no religions collaborating to build love's domain or the community of love or the commonwealth of love or the kingdom of God. And so the future Christianity I yearn for does include traditional Christians and conservative Christians mm -hmm. and evangelical Christians and progressive Christians and hyphenated Christians. It includes Buddhist Christians yeah. and uni universalist Christians and everyone else who's willing to sit down at a feast together and eat and argue and give thanks and do justice and love mercy and live humbly with the sacred. That's Micah 6, 8 which is one of my yeah. passages in the Bible, yeah. regardless of how they understand the sacred. It's going to be so messy and I can't wait. <laughs> well, I love, I, I just kind of, I really appreciate your kind of, I can hear this, this kind of meta narrative, if that's the right word of your Jesus and the beloved community and that big table. And I just, I hear it in the answer and I love it. So, well, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Where can people, Find out more about you and your work. So um, my main website is queersacredmusic.com, spelled exactly how it sounds. 
Um, my last album is also available under the band name Every Soul at everysoulmusic.com forward slash music. And again, that's spelled exactly how it sounds. So queersacredmusic.com if you're looking for hymns or worship music or rounds or that sort of thing. And if you're just curious what my last album sounds like, everysoulmusic.com forward slash music. It's got quite a variety of stuff on it. Well, this is great. I really... I've really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you so much for your time and may God's peace be with you. And with you as well. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.